say you have a modal where you're going to test a newsletter subscription on a blog page, right? That's a very common thing nowadays. And let's say that adding the modal improves newsletter subscription rate by one or two percent, right? Well, if you have a lot of traffic to that page, are you learning that adding this modal improves conversion rate, or are you learning that, hey, 99% of people on this page don't want this modal and are annoyed by it, and look, our bounce rate went up. Hey, and welcome to the UX and Growth Podcast. I'm Jeff. I'm a UX engineer at HubSpot. I'm Austin. I'm a UX designer at HubSpot. And I'm Matt. I'm a growth engineer at HubSpot. And today we're going to be talking about the true value of experiments. And once you run experiments, uh, how do you maximize that value across your organization? And so I think a common misconception about running experiments and running a a quantitative growth process is that you're doing it to make small incremental gains, right? You're trying to improve conversion rate on some page. You're trying to improve some metric by A-B testing. Uh, But that's actually not why you're running experiments. Uh, That's kind of an end result of having run experiments in an iterative fashion. The true value of running experiments actually is that you're going to learn something about your audience. You're going to learn something about your products. And uh, I think an important thing to note there is that uh, if you're just trying to make those incremental gains at plus 1% increase in conversion rate, uh, that's just a one-time gain, right? But a learning is something that you can disperse across an organization and can radically change the direction that you move in. And also, a lot of your experiments just aren't going to succeed, right? A lot of the times you're not going to make that gain and you want to still try and retrieve some value from the experiment. And so a way that I, I kind of think about it a little bit uh, is that experiments were kind of like chiseling away to define uh, who our persona is, who our, who our audience is. Uh, and so when we start with a, a, a website uh, or an app, we kind of have like this giant block of marble and every experiment that we're running, we're kind of taking the chisel to the marble and we're defining exactly who our audience is as we're learning more about them uh, based on the results of the experiments. Yeah. And this is really powerful stuff because I think that a common gripe that we hear when people are getting into the experimentation mindset is like, I, I'm frustrated because I keep running experiments and I keep trying different things, but I just can't get any of them to win. You know, I can't figure out how to get my one variation to perform at a, at a level that's statistically significant and higher than the control. Yeah, I've heard, I mean, even in a less scientific way, I've heard people say things like, we've run experiments and they just didn't work. Like it mm-hmm. was, it's so, it's such a simple, mm-hmm. like right or wrong yeah. idea. But, but what does that tell you? If the experiments that you're running aren't working, it's telling you that you're not testing the right things. It's telling you that there's something inherently wrong in the, with the direction you're moving in. Yeah. And that you need to pivot. Yep. But ultimately, I think that the thing that we can learn as we approach these experiments that may not be getting to significance or may not be winning over the control is that really we should be looking at the bigger picture here. We should be zooming out and saying, okay, so this experiment may not win quantitatively in in this particular respect, but what is the learning that we get out of it? What does this tell us about our audience? 
And ultimately, experiments only fail when you fail to learn from them, not when they fail quantitatively. And that quantitative failure can actually serve as a learning for you, even though it didn't get those quantitative results that you were looking for. But what's cool about this is that some of the best ways to take these quantitative experiments, winners or losers, and ensure that you learn from them is to make sure that you're distilling this information across your company and documenting it in a smart way. And this sounds like something that would only apply on the surface to large organizations. Like, you know, obviously I think that, that, that nobody would disagree that it's important to document your experiments and share them across teams in large organizations. You have to communicate. Right. But what I've actually found is that this is even more imperative for small companies than it is for big companies. For sure. I used to work in a startup company that was 15 people and we were all in the same room and we would run experiments and we wouldn't document them correctly and people across the room still wouldn't know what was going on. We'd run duplicate experiments and then we also came up across this really, really big issue that a lot of startups have, which is high employee churn. Mm. And in a big company, when you've got a growth team of 15 people and they're a well-oiled machine and you lose a single person, you're gonna be okay, you know, because you've documented this stuff, you've got a team that's all been working on it, they have the proper context. You can hire somebody on, onboard them and be okay. Usually. Usually, Usually. yeah. But in a small company, what if your growth team is like one person and then that person isn't documenting things correctly, the other people on the team don't know what's going on, and then they leave, you don't got anybody else in your company that knew what experiments they were running or, or what the learnings were, and the new person that comes on board is starting with a blank slate. They're mm -hmm. gonna duplicate work, they're gonna do things completely different. Right. So making sure that you really document this stuff well and you do that regardless of the scale of your company mm -hmm. is super important. Yeah, it reminds me um, of a situation, a, per uh, a personal experience of mine where I came on to a company that had run experiments and every time we were actually battling for whether or not an experiment we were running was a duplicate experiment. Like uh -huh. It was at the, at the lowest level, it was all undocumented and in someone else's head. So not only was I trying to run things to validate because we didn't have any data that was documented, but this idea of, well, we already ran it, was being a blocker for things that like we were almost not validating just because we thought we validated even though it wasn't like it just it's a total mess like documentation saves that saves you months or years of kind of yelling at each other uh when really getting it on paper in five minutes or an hour would have and ideally right like you should be running experiments in a very iterative fashion and that means that you're running a lot of experiments right and so if you're kind of going down this tunnel as to what your website or design or product is going to be based on the iterative cycle, uh, you're going in a very specific direction, yeah. right? And then if you don't have that documentation, someone new comes in and they have no idea what direction you are moving in yeah. and they're just gonna completely go off the road yeah. and into the lake somewhere. The, the, the thing that documentation really gives you, uh, which is a, a big point that we're gonna hit on for sure, um, is that when you write the results of things down, you can figure out even like it's not a win-lose anymore, right? You can always pull something out of it. So that means that when uh, an experiment fails in like a textbook way, 
you're still learning something and you still have the information to back up your decisions, even though, you know, it, whatever you thought was supposed to happen didn't happen, right? Mm -hmm. And you don't get that when you don't have it uh, on paper so much because you're kind of just pulling things out of memory and eventually it becomes like a, it didn't work, which yeah. isn't useful for anybody. Yeah. I also like, um, sorry, I just cut you off. Oh, no, go for it, man. I also like that it kind of adds a little bit more value to someone whose role is running experiments in some kind of growth marketer role or growth engineer role, where it, you're not just measured, you should never be just measured based on how much you improved conversion rate, right? If you're also learning uh, very, very important facts about your audience and their demographics that are going to attribute to key business decisions for the company at large, that is a lot of value as well. And yeah. it, it's not as measurable. Yeah. And you actually, there's this awesome example that you were sharing with Jeff and I about how you can take like a failed quantitative experiment or maybe even a successful quantitative experiment mm -hmm. and then extrapolate it into like a bigger learning. You were talking about a modal mm -hmm. test, right? Yeah. So that was, because uh, if you're just looking at the quantitative numbers, uh, you're going to miss the point, right? You, got, you have to attach the context of the quantitative numbers. And I think this is what, this experiment, uh, this example shows, uh, which is, let's say you have a modal where you're going to test a newsletter subscription on a blog page, right? That's a very common thing nowadays. Let's say you had no uh, modal uh, to prompt for a newsletter subscription before, and then you add one experiment. And let's say that adding the modal for newsletter subscription improves newsletter subscription rate by one or 2%, right? Well, if you have a lot of traffic to that page, are you learning at in that point that, well, adding this modal improves conversion rate, or are you learning that, hey, 99% of people on this page don't want this modal and are annoyed by it, and look, our bounce rate went up, mm -hmm. you know? So when you tie back in the context and look at the bigger picture and try and derive some learning from that, it completely changes the game. Yep, absolutely. That is so empowering to me. Yeah. When you start to think about these experiments, on the level of what are my actual learnings? What is my audience telling me by their actions? You go from saying, oh, this annoying modal got us an extra 50 email signups a week to, oh, this annoying modal pissed off an extra thousand people yeah. a week. I feel like a big piece of viewing experiments like this at a lens that is more beneficial to a bigger picture comes down to knowing like at the core what you're trying to do with your business and what what north star you have right so uh in the example of that modal mm -hmm. i like to think that you know you're not just looking for pure conversion rate because the business as a whole wants to you know, retain, like these, the conversion is about getting people who buy and retain and then like going through the process of like this, you know, customer development, right? So if you, all you do is maximize conversion at one spot, you're not necessarily getting the types of people that are going to uh, benefit your business, you know, over time, right? You don't get that compounding retention of users or, mm -hmm. you know, um, like extra people who upgrade or are more likely to upgrade things like that. like. Um, viewing experiments that seem trivial under the lens of the whole business's North Star um, puts, a, puts a, a more, uh, it, puts, it puts you into some, some guardrails, right? Like you, you've, gotta, you've gotta go, how does this impact um, people that I don't work with? How does this impact um, once the customer leaves my domain, like what are they doing, mm -hmm. you know? So Jeff, real quick, what do you mean by North Star? I think that's a really interesting term. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I should specify. So, like, on a uh, in the grand scheme of things, um, 
getting uh, teams aligned um, is very, it, uh, I keep trying to not say important. I mean, it's like the most important thing ever. You know what I mean? It's getting uh, every team that works with uh, customers um, all trying to understand the same version of a customer, not being fragmented. Also, you know, if you're trying to make changes in the business itself, like you're trying to, uh, revenue is an obvious one, right? But if you're trying to increase uh, the, an NPS score for your customers, right? Like um, whether or not they'd recommend your company or your services or um, trying to increase um, the, or decrease the amount of time it takes for somebody to, to purchase something. Um, that's not something that happens at a, at a single point, right? There are optimizations you can make, but ultimately getting the, uh, the whole company around these, these focus metrics or some sort of uh, picture that they all can agree is correct or close to correct. Um, and then as you experiment and start to learn more, everybody brings it together and updates these things all together as you know, a single company, as a single entity, um, you find that your business moves much faster to make gains, to, to move in a direction. I, I know that we, uh, the, something at HubSpot happened where they, uh, our founders met Elon Musk. And I love this great quote, which is, um, a vector is the sum of its components. Does that sound right? I think that's what it was, right? <laughs> right. And that's great because what that what that means is that as long as you have every piece of the company aligned in the same direction, you basically multiply the amount of effect that you have mm. um, trying yeah. to go do the same thing, which is of course why SpaceX is able to do what they do and right. things like that. And this applies to at at in, in this scope in this podcast. This applies to documentation, this applies to experimentation and trying to work together with everybody. Um, that was a really long-winded answer for a North Star, <laughs> but I, I hope that makes sense. It uh, does. I feel very and strongly it, about it. It's trying to get everyone's uh, collaborative effort going in the same direction. Yeah. To the same same means to the, the same end, essentially. Yeah. Right. It's like you've got, you've got that central goal or idea that you're all mm -hmm. focused on. Mm -hmm. And to me, this is empowering in that it gets the whole organization on the same same board. Like they're like, okay, we're all gonna focus towards this goal. But especially as organizations scale, it's even more empowering in ensuring that you're not creating conflicting experiments. Mm -hmm. Because if teams have different goals, as you get more and more teams, those goals are gonna start to con conflict with each other. Right. You know, like even within a marketing team, if you got like, we gotta get this many webinar signups, but we also got to get this many demo conversions, right? Sometimes both of those things can be competing over the same real estate to hit their goals. And they're going to be running experiments in the same place that are competing with each other. Mm -hmm. And they're not aligned. And if they were working together for that single North Star, that core goal, the bigger, bigger picture for what the company or the product is heading toward, they wouldn't be competing with each other. Yeah. Right. So let's say like uh, you have a typical marketing funnel. You have a marketing page and then you have a sign up form and then you have some form of onboarding and then you're brought to the product, right? That sounds pretty reasonable. And let's say that there is a separate team that owns the top of the funnel, the marketing page. And then you have a separate team that owns that onboarding, right? And so if the onboarding discovers through some survey that let's say, hey, 80% of people that are signing up right now are between the ages of 40 and 60 or so, right? If you don't communicate that to the everyone that's working on the rest of the funnel, you're not all headed in the right direction, the same direction. Yeah, yeah. especially if the people who are working on that other side of the funnel yeah. are between the ages of 18 and 30. Yeah, because like, let's say like on the marketing page, uh, they're part of like the, the copy and the ad is like talking about like the 
Apple Watch or something along those lines, you know? Uh, that might not be something that really clicks with who you discovered your demographic is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, so we've talked a lot sort of nebulously about documenting experiments, right. but what does it actually mean to document experiments? I think that um, there are some things that are that are different across every particular organization. Like, you're going to find your own way of doing this stuff, but um, at the end of the day, the point of documentation is to find like a central repository for all of the learnings that you have and all the experiments that are run across every department. You can organize it by department, but the, the, the point is that anybody who is working in your business should be able to access this information when they need to and also add to it. So things that I like to use are Google Apps for Work, like the the spreadsheets and the documents, like those work ridiculously well. Getting a spreadsheet together of all of the experiments that are run, linking each one to um, you know the state, whether or not it's done, like what data it was run on, and then of course the document that is that holds all of the, the details around that. That way you have like a glossary of all of the things that, or a table of contents, I suppose, of all of the things that have run and then all the details when you want them. Otherwise, you can just get an overview knowing kind of where you're, you're focusing at any given time. Um, also, um, some teams like to do weekly or bi-weekly meetups um, where they do like a, like a presentation of what things were run that week to. And that's also good, like some sort of like summit meeting of uh, a culmination of all the things that have happened at that time, which is good to spitball ideas and things like that. Um, having a, a room that everybody can contribute to, some sort of chat room maybe, or uh, uh, some way of quickly communicating, asking questions, you know, getting, making sure that, uh, also if people are new to the process, you know, that'll help them get on board by sharing mm. things that you already know um, and answering any questions like that. There's, um, if you like longer form stuff or if, if you prefer some sort of like wiki format, um, that works really well too. Um, some people, I know we use a combination of a lot of those things yeah. or all of those things. Um, the, the Google apps tends to be the place where like the hard data is stored. Yeah. Whereas yeah. like, you know, the more top level stuff, like a summary of our learnings this month, like that'll be a wiki post or something like that. And then the chat rooms are kind of sporadic depending on like what teams are working on exactly. where. Exactly. And, and, but we can, we have Slack here, so we can access whatever room we need to, and it's pretty freeform. Um, and that works well for us, right? Um, for other teams, you might, there's a lot of other tools out there too, so you might find that you wanna put everything in Basecamp, or I don't know, maybe Trello is like mm. your thing. And um, that is totally fine as long as it works for you. Uh, it, I don't know how well some of these scale, and I think that might be a consideration. I think that uh, a clear distinction to make though is that like you need a place to document the experiments, and then like as you, uh, have these critical learnings, you need different s levels or different stages to kind of shout them out to the masses, right? Yeah. And so like if you have very small learnings, like people don't like modals on our blog post, that's not something you need to tell the entire company maybe. You mm -hmm. know, maybe just people that are working on things that they yeah. might put a modal on. Now, now, that being said, it should be available to the whole company. It should be available. You, just don't, you, you just, don't need to like You don't need to call a, a massive meeting and... Yeah. Um, also, uh, a big benefit, and this comes down to formatting of the documentation itself. This is why I like Google Docs, because the formatting is really particular for us at HubSpot. Um, yeah, that's I, where it really gets serious. Yeah, and that, and that shines, though. Like that, having that, that specific format um, in like a, like a text-style uh, document is going to not only help you build experiments, but also keep track of like how specific 
your measurements are, and it, it helps you practice the experimentation process itself. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of details that go into it. I don't know how much time we want to spend on it, but first things first is a an objective statement, not a hypothesis statement so much, but just kind of like a like a human readable like this is what we're trying to do synopsis. Second thing, uh, a straight up textbook hypothesis statement. Uh, by doing this, I think we're going to see this increase, decrease, change by a number amount because this, you know, and then. Uh, that should be um, referencing other experiments or things like that, and you basically it should be held accountable that it's not a shot in the dark. And if it is a shot in the dark, you should mention that, and then of course it'll you know people will weigh that accordingly, right? Um, then you should uh, list out what the experiment is, like how like physically like what you're going to do to get the experiment to run, maybe some screenshots, things like that, uh, if it's a web product of some sort, um, and then list out the results. I mean, like, how does it compare to what you thought it was going to? Uh, how long did you run it? What were the numbers in terms of, you know, traffic or like how many? Because if it's not statistically significant, uh, you'll know that and other people will know that by the fact that uh, you have the number of people that went through it and the number of conversions and whatnot. And they can calculate it themselves to triple check that, like, this is a valid experiment. Right. Um, and then some analysis. Um, as long as you have all those parts, you basically do like the what we think is going to happen, uh, how we did it, what did happen, what do we do next. And like, as long as you have all those pieces in place, your documentation can pretty much look like whatever yeah. it wants. I can say that for my team, like when we think about those different tools and like what you're putting within each of those tools, they can actually have very specific uh, purposes and they can serve as different layers or access levels for your organization. So thinking at the highest level, you've got like a wiki. At HubSpot, we use Atlas and Confluence. There's a lot of different ways that you can do this, but basically some type of intranet, if you will, where uh, you, you post the big learnings from your experiments, maybe once per month, once per quarter, however often you want to do it. That's where the big high-level takeaways are, and you, you word that like you're talking to a five-year-old. You know, everybody in the organization has to be able to understand it. Then going a little bit of a layer deeper, you've got the Slack chat room or whatever uh, software you want to use where people can come in, talk about experiments, learn about what's going on. A layer deeper, you've got Trello, which is basically like your large experiments board, and you've got multiple different experiments that are running or ideas, and in the, each Trello card is an experiment where you have uh, stack ranked the experiment by level of importance, how much potential it has, uh, how easy it's going to be to do that experiment. And then within that card, you can link to your Google spreadsheet where all of the raw data is going to be. Yeah. And that's where you're actually putting in every single experiment, you know, whether it's scheduled, it's running, or it's complete. Yeah. And that's like your entire archive of all the data. Yeah, by the way, um, if <laughs> any of you listening are like, just show me an example, I can't follow, you guys are giving me too much stuff. Like, you can email us too. We have no problem sharing some like demos or some some mock-up versions of what like what we could use. Um, and like an experiment template. Yeah, mm -hmm. like we've, nice. we've got some stuff that we would love to share. So like, um, you can email us. Uh, we have an email address. It's hello at uxandgrowth.com. Feel free to send us an email about, you know, whatever you want to know, whatever we can clarify. Um, we're we're very, very happy to do that. Yeah, I think that this is an important thing to note is that the, these uh, tools and like the processes that we're talking about and the ways that you document this stuff, this is kind of like high level 
frameworks, basically. Right. And for your organization, the type of product that you're building, the type of experimentation that you're doing, it's going to vary by organization. So the best way to really get into it is to either, you know, get get your hands dirty and do this research yourself or talk to people like us who, who have kind of done it. And we can learn more about the type of stuff that you're doing and give you a more tailored answer. Mm-hmm. And I think another really important part to not only documenting and sharing any experiment learnings that you have is being honest about it, right? And I think that's also like a cultural thing uh, and just how how open and transparent are you and how comfortable are you with sharing uh, failures, right? If you're not comfortable sharing failures and you feel pressured to just only share the the big wins that you have, you're going to be holding yourself back. You're going to be holding your company back. Um, there's this book that I've been really mean to read uh, out there called How to Lie with Statistics, right? <laughs> and there are so many examples out there of how like you can play with numbers and make them look better than they are, right? Let's say like uh, you have 10 samples and uh, nine of them convert. You can say in a post that you're gonna di- that you're gonna share with the rest of the company, look, 90% conversion rate on this thing. Well, that's not being honest because that's not statistically significant, right? And so there's so many different ways to play with numbers and play with statistics and kind of cherry pick what you want to share. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and ultimately, uh, that's just a bad thing to be doing. We totally get pressure, Mm -hmm. right? There is going to always be pressure to do that because it makes you look better when you succeed, especially if other people are not as data literate as you are, you know what I mean? Like if they're looking at this as a win-loss situation, it succeeded, it didn't succeed, and you're looking at it, you know, from a more statistical or a, you know, a learnings, uh, you know, you know it didn't actually succeed from a hypothesis standpoint, but you're pulling a lot of stuff out of there. Sometimes you feel pressured to spin it in a way that's gonna make you look like you're succeeding in their eyes, which isn't totally honest, right? And I think that there are some ways uh, to make it better, especially from like a hiring perspective or, um, mm-hmm. you know, maybe a pr- Well, I mean, it just goes back to this idea that fostering a, a culture of transparency, honesty, and embracing failure mm-hmm. is really important for this stuff. And Matt, you mentioned that book, How to Lie with Statistics by Daryl Huff. Mm-hmm. I actually recommend that to all of the designers that I talk to, especially junior designers, because Despite the fact that design has classically been associated as you know this sort of subjective type of thing, and a lot of these experiments are happening realistically within designs, it's becoming increasingly more and more objective. Mm-hmm. And it's important for not only designers, but actually if you, if you really, really wanna build this type of organization that we're talking about, everybody in your organization needs to, on at least a basic level, understand how to interpret data. They need to possess this quality that Jeff just sort of uh, alluded to, which is that of data literacy. You know, not necessarily being like really, really like statistician, like data-driven minded or anything like that in everybody, but as you're hiring people, you should be ensuring that when you're gonna be sharing this data with them, that they can understand how to interpret it, that they can pick out data that isn't accurate or isn't helpful, and that they can use that information to empower themselves and their teams in their work. And you know it's a great way to begin fostering that culture of transparency and honesty? Focus on the learnings, like we've been talking about. <laughs> yeah. Because if you're focusing on the learnings, suddenly there's value out of failure. Yeah. And, people, and you won't be as hesitant to share that. Yeah. Okay, so we know now that it's best to view experiments 
from a standpoint of this is more about the learnings that we get about our product and our audience than about the direct quantitative results, although those are still important and we understand the pressure that comes with that. We also know that it's really important to document your experiments well and share those learnings across your organization and make sure that everybody can leverage that stuff. When you finally get to that point where you've run a good experiment, you've got a good learning and you've documented it, how do you start to take action to actually incorporate those learnings into your product or into your website? Yeah, we, uh, we kind of uh, touched on this earlier, um, talking about uh, the North Star, getting you know, your teams aligned. And actually, I straight up mentioned uh, the, this like, summit meeting or this, this thing where you, you pull people together once in a while and you, you show off some of the, the big wins that you've had or some of the big learnings, big uh, aha moments that you've had, right? So um, I'll just say it again. This is... Uh, w this is a good way to keep everybody kind of in check and also like um, it starts to chop up time in a way that feels like not really sprints but you know these like these clear blocks where you know like uh, you have to present something so you you're going to do some things and go out and really uh, ha have a goal to learn right mm -hmm. and that's that's helpful too because it's not there's not this kind of um, question mark in terms of how long things should take or like having learners just trickle in. It's like, you know, this month we're going to learn something yeah. and we're going to present it. And it doesn't have to be a win or a loss so much, but it's got to be a learning, which is a way better way to think about stuff, right? Um, and uh, at HubSpot, we, we do do this a lot, but like we have a bunch of different ways that we meet, um, you know, big presentations and small ones. But um, the idea is about learnings and we, we tend not to push things that, um, change metrics positively just for the sake of having something that goes up and to the right because that's really not what it's about at mm -hmm. the end of the day yeah um, although uh, it is do, nice to see we that. do have this running joke that we should create something called the up and to the right generator for one of our reporting tools <laughs> which just create which finds any graph that goes up and to the right so you can show your boss <laughs> which i think is brilliant but also exactly the wrong thing you should not be doing that in a, a culture of experimentation um the yeah so but um, in addition to that, like, this should be a time, we were talking about this North Star, like it's not set in stone, right? This is not the kind of thing that like you, you think of at the beginning of the year or like at the beginning of when your business is founded even, and it stays static, right? Every time, every time that these meetings happen, every time that uh, you learn something different, you should take an honest look at that North Star and what you think it should be and go, does this still hold true? Mm -hmm. Can we change this to better fit like the truth that's out there? Yeah. Um, and that's one of the hardest things to do, but it also makes the biggest difference because it keeps everyone aligned as close to real life as possible. Mm -hmm. I really like that. Uh, and and kind of what it sounds like we're saying in a way is like, uh, the longer that you go without running one of these meetings where you kind of collect all your learnings and reevaluate where that North Star is, you're kind of accruing uh, some debt in a sense of mm -hmm. like you're kind of your 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 uh, definition for who your audience is is kind of lagging behind yeah. your new understanding and you need to share that with the rest of the, the company and just kind of like realign where that lives. Um, that's really important, I think. But what about when like you have this aha moment where you learn this like incredibly groundbreaking thing about your audience right where you learn something massive about your demographics for your audience or you learn oh they don't care about this product they actually really want this thing out there or maybe let's say even like 
the market shift in some way. But that's a little outside of, of the experiments. Like there are, there are there are things that you will learn over time that you just have to share with everyone in the company mm -hmm. to kind of realign where that North Star is. Yeah. And that's where it gets a little tricky also to, to align people behind that new vision, I think. I, yeah. I remember um, there was an example about, um, uh, just real fast, like a groundbreaking thought of like, what if you're selling uh, hiking boots, right? Mm -hmm. And you suddenly find out, like you've been selling to these woodsy people, uh, your, you know, everything is about like being in the mountains and going camping and like getting dirty. And you start to quickly realize that the people who are buying all of your shoes live in the middle of the city and it's just trendy, right? Mm -hmm. And then all, and then it's like, we we can if we just change this this fundamental angle of our whole marketing uh, campaign or like branding in general, like we'll quadruple our sales. Yeah. you know, um, and that's like you you look at that and you're just like, do I really want to be that kind of company? And there's the hard question, you know, and that's shifting the north star mm -hmm. very far to not north, I guess. Yeah. Or mm -hmm. maybe you weren't north to begin with. I don't know if that's a good metaphor. <laughs> but, no, I think it's a great metaphor. And with something like that, I think it's also important to note, you need a lot of data to right. back up these kind of claims. If you're going to go for this massive learning where you're going to like radically shift the direction that your company's headed in, you need to run multiple. You don't want just one experiment, yeah. right? You yeah. want to be for damn sure that this is the reality. Yeah. And so, I think that there's uh, a little bit of a stigma against meetings, which is essentially what we're talking about here. So we should probably clarify that the meetings that we're, we're discussing and, and these sort of concepts that we're throwing out around these like company update meetings and everything, I think that they exist at a couple different levels of intensity. Um, and no matter the level, they should always be fast and actionable. So we're not advocating for this idea that like, oh, if we just increase the amount of meetings where we talk about experiments, then we're automatically gonna be doing this better. Right. Of course, that's not true. Uh, these meetings have to be very thoughtful in the way that they're planned and delivered and the timing for them. And I think that you've got two different layers for the meetings that you can run. The first of which is you could have a monthly business leader update meeting where like every month the core most important people in your organization the people that can can lead and impact change in your organization and that could be you and your co-founder or it could be your entire executive board right. they get together and they say okay this is these are the core experiment learnings from my team this is how it plays into our current north star and then you share that information and you say, are we still focusing on the same goal? Is it the right goal? What do we do with that? And then you t come away from that and say, what are the experiments that we're gonna run next to better impact that? And then quarterly, you have like an all hands company meeting where you get everybody together and you say, hey, these are the high level big things that we learned. These are, the, these are the goals that we're maintaining. These are the new goals we're introducing. These are the goals that we are getting rid of that we, you know, we don't think are quite as important anymore or whatever, where you're updating the entire company. And these meetings only have to be 30 minutes you know, for the business leaders once per month and an hour for the all hands meeting at most once per quarter. You know, right. We're not advocating for bureaucracy. We're just saying, make sure that you deliberately communicate this stuff in an actionable way that aligns everybody in the company against the same goals. Right. Mm -hmm. as, as we kind of look at the stuff holistically, what are some of the key takeaways that we've got, right? Mm. I think 
the first one that we talked about a lot already is that the core value of experiments are not the small incremental gains that you're accruing, right? That's a result of running experiments in an incremental fashion. The real value is in what you're learning about your audience and your products. Yeah. To the point where, like, you can run an experiment, mm -hmm. and if you look at it very, very narrow-mindedly, it may seem, from a quantitative perspective, like a win. You know, like, we didn't have any conversions here, and then we did this annoying thing, and now we've got conversions. Mm -hmm. But if you look at it on a more holistic level, there's a much bigger learning there. Mm -hmm. And you're going to, by also doing that, as we talked about, uh, foster a culture of uh, transparency and honesty, which is a great, great thing. And you're also going to uh, help align your company in the direction of who your true audience is. Yeah. Um, another great takeaway uh, that I spent a whole bunch of time talking about. And <laughs> remember to email us, uh, is <laughs> uh, that uh, experiments should be fully documented and they should be uh, able to be accessed by everybody in your company. Um, additionally, bonus points, a little bit harder to do. Um, it would be super, super helpful to make sure that everyone in your company has um, a reasonable amount of data literacy. So like being able to uh, look at these things and know when something is kind of bullshit, you know? Like being able to check each other on the the quality of these experiments um, and the fact that everything is available um, should make this easier, yeah. keeping those communication lines open. Yeah, making sure that you're communicating stuff well and documenting it mm -hmm. in a central place. Right. And then finally, having your business leadership get together and talk about their clear vision or their North Star that they're aiming at Go over those experiments for the month or whatever period of time you select and have it all roll up to those goals and then figure out if there's anything that they need to change and what they need to do going forward. Mm -hmm. And then on like a, a more uh, periodical basis, like potentially a quarterly basis, updating the entire company through like an all hands meeting. But what's really cool is that throughout this entire time, you're still going to be updating your experiment docs and putting stuff on your wiki, whatever you may have. So as all of this is happening, your employees can individually still go in and see what's happening like in real time. There's actually uh, a really cool example that Matt brought up from Airbnb where they have like this live experiment dashboard that they've actually built. So if you want to get, you know, to like a really, really big scale yeah. mm -hmm. to the point where like they believe that this stuff is so important that they've built an actual custom real-time experimentation dashboard yeah. for people in their company to look at. They have an article about that also that I think we'll link to. They yeah. have like, when you get to a scale like that, even like, so like even Facebook scale too, and I'm sure Google has this too, but like you see them doing things that are much more advanced than I think the average business needs mm -hmm. in order to pull this kind of stuff off. Like yeah. they have full-time data scientists and they have all sorts mm -hmm. of things and the process is very rigid and you know they get everything documented to like so, so thoroughly. Yes. Um, and this like, it's not as scary as it sounds. That's like the ultimate. Yeah. But um, at a lower level, any size company can get away with this stuff mm -hmm. and run meaningful experiments that uh, fundamentally change the way that their business works and uh, changes positively the impact that their business has. Right. I think the important note that you touched on there with like Facebook and these other companies that are doing this stuff, it's all about scale and proportion, right? 
companies like Facebook need to be very scientific about experiments that they're running because whatever they change in the product is going to have massive cascading effects because you're multiplying it by billions of users, <laughs> right? So if you're just doing this stuff on your marketing side, you're optimizing a page that has a couple thousand visitors, you know, it's not going to have as big of an impact yeah. if you're not as scientific. When yeah. you have a small scale business, you are going to miss, once your business is large scale, the time when people didn't give a crap about your site. Because <laughs> you could change so much and learn so much so fast without any negative impact. Yeah. And now you change the font size in Facebook and they have like half a million people messaging Mark Zuckerberg directly being like, I can't see this anymore. And it's like, <laughs> geez, like, come on. <laughs> it's not even an experiment. We're just trying to fix mm -hmm. some stuff, right? They yeah. can't change anything. So uh, you, it that is a great time to learn. So yeah. take advantage of it. Like yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, hopefully you were able to follow this uh, this kind of high-level description of, of mm. sh uh, sharing learnings and, and aligning uh, your thought process around experimentation. Um, on, a, on a quick closing note, yeah. uh, I think it's important to note, just like, I just want to harp on this so strongly. Like, mm -hmm. if you're just running experiments as a means to improve conversion rate of some form in some funnel, you're completely missing the point, right? And I think, just to, just to help uh, articulate it, like, if you're making these small incremental gains, you're maybe growing at 5%, 10%, whatever it may be. But if you're focusing on the learnings and if you're properly sharing these learnings across your organization, your potential for impact is 10x, if yeah. not more, right? Yeah. There is so much more. Even if you don't make as many incremental gains, just the sheer potential of what you're doing totally makes it worth it. Yeah. yeah. Just to build off of what Jeff was saying about the small companies taking on experiments and, and everybody being able to do this stuff. We have a really excellent episode from early in our podcast days with a guy named Brian Balfour. Mm -hmm. And he's one of the fathers of growth. If you wanna go back and listen to that episode, there's some excellent perspectives that he shares for small companies and startups on how you can run growth experiments like large companies are doing at scale, but on a reasonable level for you. And he also has a website and blog at coelevate.com. We'll link to it in the description. You can go to, and he has some pretty good like small business frameworks in there. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's a great interview. Uh, we also have a website. <laughs> uh, it's uh, uxandgrowth.com. We have an email address. It's hello at uxandgrowth.com. Uh, we have a Twitter account. It's UX and Growth. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> so, like, the pattern is pretty straightforward. I think you can figure out the rest. Um, we are on SoundCloud and iTunes. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, if you enjoy other episodes, if you've listened to all of them and you still haven't done this, please uh, give us a review. You know, uh, we're not asking for any particular number of stars as long as it's five. And <laughs> uh, no, you can do whatever you want. But it's um, we would we would love to hear from you, and we would love to have a review. Um, iTunes reviews are wonderful. So, uh, uxandgrowth.com, hello at uxandgrowth.com. Thank if, you so if, much. If you don't leave a comment, then we will have to do qualitative research and reach out to all of you. Oh, yeah. So, God forbid we experiment on you guys, right? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day.